It's Rick Jones of Fishbait Solutions welcoming you all back to From the Bridge. I'm just back from two weeks across the pond in the UK and had a chance to see my family, but I'm glad to be back. But I came back and it's a little chilly this morning. I think uh, fall has finally arrived and uh, and that's probably a good thing. I, I like cooler weather and real football weather as we get down the final stretch of the season. As promised, this week we're going to take a deep look at NIL, name, image, and likeness, and what it means or might mean to college athletics. My guest is Wesley Haynes, who is the CEO of the Brandar Group and a partner with Campus Lore. No one, and I mean no one, understands the opportunities posed by NIL better than Wesley. We're going to take another trip up on the soapbox and find yet another fun place to eat on the road with Rick. NIL is a very deep subject, so let's head to deep water today from the bridge. In 1987, SMU, that's Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas, a perennial college football powerhouse, got the death penalty, and their program was suspended largely for what is now legal with the new name, image, and likeness legislation from states across the country. If you remember that period, they had two great running backs, Eric Dickerson and Craig James, uh, and they were accused of paying players, which, of course, they were doing. But now with the new NIL, you actually can play players. So how far have we come? In fact, SMU, the bag man, the guy actually playing, paying the players at SMU was the governor of Texas, Governor Hodges. He was the one that was writing checks or handing them cash. Today, we have multiple states that have passed laws giving student athletes the rights to monetize their images and monetize their social posts and other things that they personally do. Here's the problem. We have all these state laws, but no national law. Now, what we do know is this. Congress is trying to figure it out, and it is really a bipartisan thing because neither political party wants to say they kill college athletics. And so they're working together. But in our recent election, when the Democrats regained control of the Senate— or at least the equality of the Senate, all of the committee chairs switched, and that slows down legislation. Had the Republicans kept the Senate, I think a, a, a bill would have been passed already that would have a national meaning that would trump all these individual state laws. Right now, it's crazy out there. It's the wild, wild west, and we're not exactly sure what's going to happen. Now, we know this. The NCA wants restrictions. <laughs> of course they do. Um, They don't want players appearing in their team or school gear. They're against collective rights, so that means no trading cards or no video games or no other ways that athletes can um, create value collectively. Uh, I mentioned last week that Scout Sports and Entertainment had done a, a study of fans and what they thought of NIL and that most people under 40 seem to agree that college athletes should have these rights, and most people over 40 say, nah, not so, not so much. I want to start today's discussion with what I call the myth of money, though. There is this myth out there that colleges and universities are taking in hundreds of millions of dollars and are keeping it, and that is a myth. Yes, coaches make a lot of money, and you see with the recent dismissal of a guy who won a national championship two years ago at Argeron at, at LSU, that they're high stakes and that coaches do make a lot of money and in many cases make a lot of money in severance to go away. But the vast majority of the money that is made in college football and college basketball goes back to scholarships for other student athletes in sports that don't create a profit. Football funds women's soccer and men's volleyball and track and field and baseball and softball and fencing and skiing and all of the other sports. 
And so there's this myth that we're exploiting players and that they should be getting their share of this big piece of money. It's simply not true. Now, because Wesley today is going to take the position that athletes should have both individual and collective rights, I'm going to play the contrarian and tell you why I think this is fraught with problems. And please remember that I tend to be a libertarian at heart. I'm a guy that believes in the free market. But I do want to kind of play the devil's advocate to what I think Wesley's going to talk to us about. So here are my four top reasons why I am concerned about NIL. Problem number one, there are these things out there called Pell Grants. Pell Grants are government-backed scholarships. If you fall below a certain income level as a family or as an individual, you qualify for Pell Grants. I can't tell you how many minority athletes are on Pell Grants. These are grants that the government is actually subsidizing college athletics. Well, if you make more than $15,000 a year as a student athlete, you lose your Pell Grant. You could lose your scholarship, which means the ecosystem is going to have to come up with that money. And let's think, what if you were an out-of-state student? Now the athletic department has got to pay out-of-state tuition full amounts of -of out-of-state tuition, and that's going to continue to mess up the financial system. Problem number two, NIL comes at the same time as we have this thing called the transfer portal. That means I can up and leave anytime I want and go anywhere I want to play for anybody I want to. Now, that's great, but what's going to prevent a car dealership from coming to me and saying, hey, if you transfer over here and play quarterback for us, I'm just going to let you endorse my car dealership for hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars. The transfer portal married with NIL is going to create all sorts of unintended consequences. Here's problem number three. Over the years when my wife and I would travel, and we travel a lot to lots of games, lots of tournaments, and we often stay in hotels where teams are staying, primarily in college basketball. And my wife likes to remind me every time she sees a team meal that there's a whole lot of stupid in that room. No disrespect to college students, but a lot of them are kind of stupid. That's why you go to college. You go to college to become less stupid, right? We all did that. And we all can look back and think about the stupid things we did in college that thank God there were no such things as smartphones because we didn't document those. I can deny everything to my kids and grandkids that I ever did because there's no proof. Well, guess what? There's proof everywhere today. If you make a tweet, if you make a post, it will live with you forever. We are seeing adults losing their jobs in business, in sport, and in politics from things they wrote on email over a decade ago. I want to warn student athletes, there will be nowhere to hide forever. Whatever you think And whatever you say, and whatever you support, and whatever you don't support is going to come back to live with you forever. And I think that's dangerous for young people. And finally, the last reason I'm concerned about NIL is the locker room. You know, in professional sports, some people make more than others, but everybody makes something. Not necessarily in college sports. So I got a hot shot running back who's getting all this money from endorsements or from social post. What happens when his line says, you know what, hot shot, we ain't blocking for you this week? What happens when wide receivers start dropping balls because quarterbacks are getting paid so much money? Human nature, you can't change it. And I worry about the locker room, what's going to happen when someone's making a lot of money and not performing on the field? What happens when you're in a Dr. Pepper commercial, but you're having a bad, bad season? How do other people react to that? 
I worry about the locker room. NIL is here to stay, but as we often say, be careful what you wish for. My special guest today is Wesley Haynes, who has spent much of his life in licensing and the use of intellectual property. His current agency, Brandar, is on the frontier of creating value for both current and former student athletes. Let's welcome my pal Wesley to the bridge. Everybody wants me to be. Hey, Wesley, it's great to have you today from the bridge. Great to be here, Rick. Uh, good to good to chat with you again. Looking forward to our discussion today. Well, we're talking about NIL today, and boy, oh boy, is it interesting. Uh, and you've been on the cutting edge of this all along. But I always tell all of my guests, I always like to go back to the beginning because it gives us context about kind of where you've come from and where you're going. So talk a little bit about where you grew up, where you went to school, first job, some of that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, and actually the first job for me does have a lot of relevance here. So I, I grew up in Alexander City, Alabama, and went to Benjamin Russell High School. And, Home of Russell Athletic at the time, right? Yeah, exactly, and that was my first job was with Russell Athletic after a little stint at uh, Davidson College and then Georgia Tech and uh, Scott Howell, who was uh, um, a longtime executive uh, at Russell and he followed uh, Georgia Tech and knew of my background and offered me a job. And I came back to Russell Athletics, started out and really spent two years um, doing everything from opening bells of cotton to working in the yarn to screen printing and knitting and sewing. And, and then finally got over and did some project engineering work and worked my way over into the sales and marketing areas there at Russell Athletic. I think people today have kind of forgotten about Russell. Um, in that era, they were such a monster. I mean, I, I think every Major League Baseball uniform was a Russell. Um, you know, they they bought more cotton than anybody in the world. <laughs> um, you know, just fascinating. But you were able to do – you were re- really able to learn the business from the ground floor up, uh, which I think too few people do today. That's exactly right, and – uh, you know, one of one of uh, the first projects I worked on was the Russell Athletic Major League Baseball project. But even before that, even screen printing name and numbers on the backs of jerseys when uh, Russell Athletic had, I think, um, I think at one time they had 23 of the 25 uh, top five schools and our top 25 schools in the AP rankings. And and so it was just amazing to see that, you know, um, all of the rights that they had and how it worked. And, and even going back to the day that uh, Nike reached out to Russell and said, Hey, we're going to get into this college apparel business and we want to work uh, on the sidelines and with schools. And, and so we had some really in-depth conversations with Nike. So it tells you how far back I go. Well, I, I'll tell you how far I go back. One of my prized possessions that hangs in my closet is I have a Russell athletic Atlanta Crackers uniform. <laughs> That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? Uh, yeah. It, it I mean, really number is. one, it's amazing that we actually had a minor league baseball team called the Crackers. That's one <laughs> one amazing thing. But it is a Russell product uh, from way back, you know, before the Braves came to Atlanta because I was a big – I grew up in Atlanta and I was a Crackers fan and uh, and went to the old Postelian ballpark and all that. And then, obviously, I worked at Georgia Tech. I worked for Homer Rice – uh, and and Russell was an integral part of Georgia Tech athletics forever, um, and so I have a great relationship with them. Well, then when what? So what? Then in your pivot. So you're at Russell. Then what came next? Well, one day the PGA Tour called and um, and said, "Hey, we're we're thinking about hiring some new folks in licensing and really get our licensing program." kicked off and um, and they had already uh, had signed some agreements with parodies and and some other uh, companies and so they wanted to kind of take their licensing to the next level and so they called me and said hey could you recommend somebody for a job and thought about it overnight and recommended myself and moved to Pontevedra Beach and worked for the PJ Tour and for you've never left Pontevedra no, I haven't left Pontevedra I mean look if you've been to Pontevedra you know it's a pretty good place to hang out and 
Um, and so even after I left uh, the PJ Tour, I, I represented the PJ Tour's licensing efforts for another 10 to 12 years with IMG. And, uh, and that's kind of how I got reconnected back from my Russell days with uh, Bill and Pat Battle that we both know and respect a lot. And um, Bill and Pat had, um, had done some work for the PJ Tour and had developed a, a little company called Licensing Partners International that did some work with Canadian Football League and NASCAR. and, and Churchill Downs, Tour. too, I think, at one time. Didn't yeah, yeah, Churchill Downs, yep. exactly. And so uh, I, I left the tour, formed a little partnership with W.C. Bradley Company, who's in Columbus, Georgia, and yep. great family that I've known, and, and the battles. And, and so we kicked off LPI, and I went over to run that for several years. So stayed in the licensing area and stayed in the sports area. But uh, just change roles a bit. Well, I'm so old. My uh, my wife's aunt owned the second house ever built at Sawgrass. No joke. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That would be worth something today. Yeah. I well, I, you know, it, it, it's not much of a house compared to what they've built. You know, since then, this was over on the beach side, and uh, and you know, when Charlotte and I dated and first got married, we would go and stay with them and obviously I did a lot of work with the tour when I when Nabisco was the umbrella sponsor of the PGA tour and and um, we were their agency of record during that that Ross Johnson era when uh, we had all the great golfers so I spent a lot of time you know with the tour and um, and I know the great job that you did because really candidly they did not have a licensing program I mean they 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 work a little bit like when Bill got involved with you know first coach Bryant and then Alabama they didn't know what they had, but they knew they weren't making any money. Um, and 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 y'all turned that thing upside down and built, you know, those great PGA Tour stores and airports and other places. Yeah, and that also uh, got us into the video gaming area with EA Sports. And so uh, for me, you know, I had I had the great opportunity to work with Russell Athletic and be a uh, licensee of college and and work with uh, work with it from the licensee side, the manufacturer side, and then it was kind of neat to be on the brand side and and put these deals together and get introduced to a whole new crop of companies like the EA Sports and the Parodies and and then to reacquaint myself and um, and do additional business with Bill and Pat, who I again just really respect and I know you feel the same way and. Um, and we, we think the world of them, I guess, Bill probably created the sports licensing business for all intent and purposes. No, there's no question that he did. I, you know, I told Bill the other day, we had, uh, we had a, a really nice dinner the other night in Birmingham at one of Frank Stitt's restaurants, Bottega. And, and I had had Bill on, you know, he's got a new book out called the master's plan that is so, so good. I mean, I've told everybody that if you're interested in sports, marketing and licensing you have to read the book but it's not only about clc but it's about you know his journey and the people that influenced him but i told him this and i really mean this i never met anyone at clc that i didn't like yeah i mean yeah it always started with he just hired people that had great integrity and great character and so there was always a level of trust that and I also like this. I never felt like CLC wanted to get the last nickel. That's they, exactly right. You, you know, and I've worked with other people that you're, you, you know, when you leave, you go, "Is my wallet still? Is it still in my pocket?" Because I'm not so sure that I, that there's anything left. Uh, he understood clearly the IP rights. The schools had to win, but but the the license he had to. To, to win. I mean, they, you know, they, we had to make it where it was going to, they, if you didn't build a good business, they were going to go away. Yep. And then he realized the retailer had to win. And, yep. and, 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 and that's kind of rare. You know, people are always looking around for the loser at the table. And I, I laughingly said, oh, there was a loser. It was the NFL. <laughs> they weren't at the table. <laughs> uh, That's right. You know, I mean, it, it wasn't anybody at the table. That, And I think that I think that kind of leads us to the discussion that I want to have with you. Part of it today about NIL is everybody has to win in order for the ecosystem to work. And, 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 and I think your background, 
is, is, is paramount to what y'all are doing right now in helping universities, helping student athletes, helping former student athletes um, in the ecosystem of understanding, you know, that everybody's got to win here. And to do that, you have to build the, the right kind of architecture. And, Absolutely. you know, we've talked, you and I've talked in the past about, you know, for the past 36 months, as we heard rumblings of NIL, and then we had various state legislative bodies pass laws, and then we know that we still can't seem to get a federal overlay law. It's been a little bit like the wild, wild west. Um, and and there have been a lot of people that I think, uh, you know, one of my favorite um, musicals is The Music Man, and there's a great line of he doesn't know the territory. And I think there have been some people that have jumped into NIL that I look around and go, they have they, they don't know anything about the ecosystem, and that's bad, yeah, yeah. and that's bad. So I think your background on that. But when did you first kind of begin to see the tide beginning to shift and that we were going we, – I know this. You were doing with Campus Lore and with some other things – you had seen the value of former student athletes back with their campus marks and with IP. Talk about that. What 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 made you see that that then led to now using current student athletes? Yeah, so <clears throat> to go back on that one, we really need to go back about eight or nine years ago now. And um, and so I was involved um, when I was at IMG and. Um, uh, actually, uh, the NFL retained us to help them settle a lawsuit that was, had been kicked around federal court. It was Fred Dreyer versus NFL Films was the original lawsuit. And it ultimately became a class action suit. And the NFL uh, wanted to get it settled. And, and there was a lot of complexity on the plaintiff's side. There were two sets of attorneys involved. And everyone kind of had... Um, you know, had mixed agendas and, 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 and so ultimately it got settled. Uh, and so I went to federal court several different times and, and, and was, was involved in helping get it settled, but it was through that effort that, um, uh, and the settlement that the federal judge agreed that maybe an agency for retired NFL players could be created to do group rights. And so, um, it was called the pro football retired players association. And, and, you know, again, the basic premise uh, of that uh, case was something different, but, but as an outgrowth of it, there was the creation of this agency. And through that, I met, um, Steve Skebelo and Ahmad Nassar and who, uh, at that time were running the business arm of the NFLPA. And as I'm kind of prone to do, I probably, took in a 40 page PowerPoint presentation to explain to them what we were doing for retired players and maybe how we could work with the active NFL PA. And, and at the end of the meeting, uh, Ahmad and Steve said, well, I say this is great, but you had two slides devoted to college. So think Jim Brown, not as a Cleveland Browns, but as a Syracuse Orangeman and Joe Namath, not as a New York Jet, but as an Alabama Crimson Tide player. And, and they said, Wesley, this is great. Uh, frankly, we, there are some ways we can work together. But, you know, interesting, you bring up college. And for 10 years, we've been trying to figure out uh, how we could work in college. And if you'd be interested in working with us, maybe we'd be interested in you representing the NFLPA in college. And I thought, wow, this is a fantastic idea. And, and so that, for me, was the moment in which the light bulb kind of went off and, uh, and how I imagined that if we worked with Julio Jones, not as an Atlanta Falcon, but as an Alabama Crimson Tide and all, you know, Tom Brady, you know, as a Michigan Wolverine, I thought that that would be a neat business to get into and a, and a neat opportunity. But frankly, I thought eventually, I, I, because I knew the battles and I knew about the O'Bannon lawsuit and I knew that that lawsuit was making its way through courts. I thought that that would be the ultimate catalyst for change. But I believed at some point in the future and didn't know if it was going to be one year or 10 years that uh, student athletes would probably get their rights back. And if we had this resume that said we did this for the NFLPA and then later we added the NBPA and Major League Baseball Players Association, 
they would give us uh, a unique positioning to, to possibly work for student athletes and do their group rights the same way that the NFLPA does it, which is kind of the gold. They and the NBPA and MLBPA are the gold standard here. And, and so there were a lot of lessons learned about how they do it and how they manage the program and how group rights work. And, um, and so for eight years, we've learned that. And so when this came around and, you know, at the end of June, first of July, uh, we were kind of, uh, we, we'd had eight years to prepare for this. And so while many people thought, well, gosh, you're new to the business. No, we've been doing this for, you know, for eight or so years, uh, but doing it for the NFLPA and NBPA and MLBPA. Well, and, and I'm a big believer that, that systems need consistency. And if these are the systems and the processes that the Players Association have, that's where the college student athlete is ultimately going to live in the ecosystem and they ought to be similar um along that i, I did find it ironic and I, I i've i've been critical of the nca on this program so today's not going to surprise anybody but in, in fact I've, I've said that they've seemed to be on the wrong side of every issue uh since the oklahoma georgia um lawsuit back in the 80s to to extend the number of television games that could be on tv but you know, this idea of, oh, we're going to let student athletes go out and monetize themselves, but they can't use their school IP and they can't do collective rights. You know, I, I was like, that, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, I agree. I mean, I mean, it's like, it's like really? I mean, that's, that's crazy. And, but, and I think state legislators and I think ultimately the federal government, I do believe that we would have gotten a bill passed had the Democrats not taken control of the Senate. I think it was lined up, and you know what happens there. No disrespect to the Democrats, but once you have a turnover, all those committee chairs turn, and you go through this education process. Um, but I did think we might have a a bill sooner than later because I don't think either party wants to be the party that messes with college athletics. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think ultimately they'll do the right thing, but, um, but I did find it uh, interesting that, that all of the things that you were doing with the, um, collective rights, um, uh, w with the players associations, you know, there were some parties in college athletics that said, well, we're not going to do any of that. And that, that made no sense. Um, yeah, and it didn't to me either. And uh, Rick, I think you know this. I um, like with Bill and Pat Battle. I also had had the great pleasure of having another mentor, and it's Jim Host and Host Communications. And Jim suggested one day that I go to the NCAA and explain this to them, and um, and he thought that that would uh, possibly you know, be something that they should be interested in. And, and so he talked to the NCAA and I went there a couple of times uh, really at their request and on their dime and they signed me to an NDA on it. And I, I thought, well, gosh, Jim, once again is right. And they're going, they're going to get on board on this and, and, you know, maybe group rights can be the early adopted platform uh, for NIL and, and so I went there and they just basically wanted to learn how it worked, but, but really had no intention of implementing. In fact, told me as much yeah. um, that this was, um, you know, this was just a non-starter from their perspective. And it was a mistake, frankly. And so, you know, it, what happened has happened in, at the Supreme Court level. And I think they were wrong. And I, I, I also think, frankly, when you think about, you know, professional athletes, don't get to choose where they go play. Uh, college athletes get to choose their university, and there's just a different relationship between uh, a student athlete and their university uh, and a professional athlete and, and who's paying them a salary and as a job. And, and so they want to be hero status on product. And, and you know what? For 50 years, we've told student athletes what you can't do. It's kind of neat now to tell them what you can do and how you can be co-branded with the university. And so that's, that's a part of our stump pitch, if you will, is, you know, why won't you give them a path to be co-branded? Well, I, I, I've said this, um, <clears throat> you know, Peyton Manning grew old as an NFL quarterback, but he was forever young at Tennessee. And, <laughs> and, 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 you know, and I remember years ago when Jim host got the rights to NCAA football, he hired me to cr do the creative for that. And we did a, um, uh, we took the uh, song Forever Young 
and um, and and did a Steelomatic. And I, I remember in the video we had, you know, Archie Manning rolling out and then becoming Peyton, and then we had you know Bob Greasy rolling out and becoming Brian, and you know we we showed the connectivity. And there, there's a uniqueness there. And I and now you add transfer portal to this. Um, I think it's critical to try to. Well, number one, I heard Mac Brown, who we both have a lot of respect for, uh, say the other day, "You better be playing too deep. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you better be playing too deep all the time, or they're going to be playing against you next year." Uh, That's right. But the other thing is, I think you can get them more ingrained in being part of the fabric of the institution if you let them exploit, and I use that word as a positive the collective rights of their individual rights in the school marks. I, 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 totally I think agree. at that point you've got them engaged as I'm a, I'm a Georgia Bulldog or I'm a, I'm a Yellow Jacket or I'm an Oklahoma Sooner um, in a time that I think transfer portal kind of changes everything. So I, I never understood the logic behind not wanting to do it. And, and again, we, you and I both know the NCAA football game was a juggernaut of revenues for – institutions and now can be a juggernaut for nil it really can and then and i don't see anything that's wrong with that and and to your point it has become a part of um you know the way student athletes think and 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 again they they just want to be hero status on product and have that have mom and dad and their friends and their cousins buy a jersey with Ohio State on the front and my name and number on the back. And and so it's just kind of neat. And I don't see what's wrong with that. And, and frankly, um, you know, most universities, once they understand this and understand we're talking about passive use of group rights, uh, they usually come to the conclusion there's just not a downside to doing this today. And and I agree with them. There's not a downside to doing well, it. Well, Wesley, frankly, yeah, let me ask you this. Has, it, has the hesitation been because they think it gets them closer to being unionized? I mean, are they worried that it's really, you know, a, a, a work uh, a workers issue versus a licensing issue or a compensation issue. I mean, is that because uh, I, I I believe you could have collective rights and and then not gonna have to be part of a union. I mean, I, I you know I, I don't understand that. What, what what do you feel? Why why do you feel like people have been negative about it? Yeah, you know it's a great question. And we, yes, have we heard that uh, as a reason not to do it? Yes. Um, but the unions and we and you agree, look, you can have a voluntary program. It's messy. Yes. Will we get 100 percent participation? Probably not. But that's OK. Um, and frankly, um, it, it, it's OK that it is messy. Uh, but but frankly, while we've had that um, excuse used a couple of times, that's not the prevailing reason. The prevailing reason is that. They don't want to be seen as causing compensation. And as you know, most athletic departments are very conservative and most athletic administrators are conservative and and they just want to make sure that they don't do anything wrong. And and so as more and more schools adopt this, I think more and more uh, athletic directors and administration folks are getting comfortable that they're not causing compensation, frankly, um, you know, we're causing the compensation and that's why you need a third party to provide that role. We're the one causing the compensation for the student athletes. Um, but, but they just need to get comfortable in how the mechanics of it works and, and how this, this can work. And I actually think frankly, that it'll be a boom for athletics, college athletics as well. I don't, I don't think this is a zero sum game as some in the multimedia rights space fear, that, hey, just because the student athletes are making a dollar, now that's going to pull a dollar out of my pocket. I don't agree with that. Well, I don't, and, I, and I agree with you. I, I'm a big, you know, I always come as a salesman. I have always been a consultant first. I've always thought about the brand first. You know, the only reason that a brand affiliates with a property, let's say that, you know, you know Pepsi affiliates with the, the Florida Gators is for the fan base. And, yeah. and and if there's a way to better engage the fan base using student athletes, that's 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 not a, a, a zero sum deal. That that that's that's a plus to keep them engaged and involved. And because at the end of the day, you support a 
a, you know, a brand supports um, a school in order to meet their business objectives. <laughs> and, yeah. and that's how do I sell more product? Um, and I think sometimes we forget about that. And this is, in my opinion, just another great, you know, club in the golf bag um, that, that's going to make you, I think, you know, more effective. And, 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 and I, so, I, so I, I agree. I think there's people always feel like the, the pie is not going to get any bigger. And so I got to, you know, I want to make sure my slice of the pie is going to be this size. And I'm like, no, 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 double the size of the pie. Uh, yeah. I mean, make the pie bigger, uh, you, you know, look at the ecosystem and, 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 you know, how do you take advantage of, uh, of things along those lines? I think I saw where, uh, I, and I've been, you know, when you listen to the podcast earlier, I talked about, uh, you know, some of the negatives that I see that we have to be, you know, concerned about Pell Grants, Transfer Portal, uh, the fact that, you know, you got to be careful on social media because they live forever. You got to be careful about what you do endorse as a young person. That's why I love a third party like y'all kind of helping na- them navigate that. But the other thing is, how do you how do you keep the locker room together? I, I think I saw the pit quarterback who's having a hell of a year. He, he did a deal with a steakhouse and he takes his offensive lineman there every week. Uh, I, know. I mean, what, really isn't cool. that cool? I mean, and we've it saw really that. Is. Yeah, we saw that in the NFL for years, where you know Tom Brady would say, you know, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna compensate my offensive lineman um, in some in some capacity with gifts or those kinds of things. And so I, I think there is a little bit of a myth of it's going to destroy everything. It all comes down to leadership and. You know, y'all's leadership in the space and helping institutions navigate it, I think it's important. And then the institutions to be able to educate student athletes about, you know, there's a right way and a wrong way to do this. Um, And I think that's critical. And frankly, that uh, your point about education, uh, that's kind of one of the three pillars of any uh, announcement we make with schools is that you do provide that education for student athletes because. Uh, there are a lot of naysayers and there is a lot of confusion and noise in the ecosystem and cutting through that clutter and educating student athletes will help them make better and informed decisions. And we know that. And so um, if, if, if we announce with a school, just know that they've allowed education to occur. And we think that's important. Frankly, we don't, we're happy to provide the education, but one of the reasons we work with Altius and Casey in the group is if, you know, if you want a third party to provide that education, we're okay with that occurring. In fact, we're, we're more than okay with that occurring. We, well, we you probably endorse that occurring. I mean, it's not. I think you go even beyond. The, we're okay with it. We we endorse the fact that that you you know we got to make sure that student athletes don't make a mistake. Um, That's right. And, and I and I you know and you know I remind people that social media is forever now. And and so you know, do you want to make a post? It'll be interesting to see. Um, I, I'm spending a lot of my time in the twilight of my career trying to do what I call harnessing the tribes to better society. And so, you know, we've got a number of charities that we work with. But one of the things I'm going to really watch is we've got a generation of young people that are probably more politically active maybe since my generation was, you know, in college. And are they going to endorse political candidates? Are they going to endorse um, certain legislative issues? And that's great, but you want to remind them what you did then may come back to haunt you 30 years from now. You, you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. I mean, and so I, I just, I think we have to, I, you know, a lot of times people watch these kids on TV. I was at the Kentucky Duke game the other night and, uh, those are the two biggest teams I've ever seen. I mean, I, I mean, I'm, the, the physical attributes of the Duke basketball players and the Kentucky players just blew me away. They're still kids. Yeah, that's exactly they're, right. They're still kids. I mean, you know, my wife laughingly says and affectionately says every time she sees a bunch of student athletes having dinner, there's a lot of stupid in that room. Um, and we laugh about it. But we, we, we owe them – Wisdom. We do. 
And yeah, yeah, and so that's what I love about your agency is collectively decades of wisdom in the ecosystem. Yep. And part of the wisdom is also working with the corporate partners that are going to use student athletes and make sure that they do it the right way too. That's that is it exactly. And, and frankly, you know, we try to uh, get schools comfortable with the fact that we want to work with our corporate partners and, you know, it couldn't be further from the truth. You know, could, could you go, I guess, in theory, do some ambushing program? Yeah, but why? And why not help benefit the school and the student athlete at the same time? And so um, that, that's been our message so far. Well, it's interesting. I have, I've, I've been a little bit of a, I've swum against the current in, in the sponsorship industry forever. And I think it served me pretty well. I mean, like one of the things that I've always laughed about was why do three-year agreements cost you more each year when you can buy three bars of soap and it's cheaper than one bar of soap times three? You know, I mean, it, it, I've always, you know, the escalation in contracts I've always laughed about and said that, that, that's illogical to me. But the other thing that I, I have always been kind of adamant against is what I call exclusivity. Um, it allows, in my opinion, sponsors to be bad sponsors. They buy exclusive rights and then they don't do anything with it. Yeah. And, and so I'm I'm not opposed to ambushed, quite frankly. Um, and if a student athlete can go out and take a rival brand and do something meaningful with it, shame on the other brand for not being strategic. Um, you know, I've worked with ESPN for so long, and Rob Temple, who's our CEO now, he has a he has a great line. He would say, "At ESPN, we never sold exclusivity; we sold dominance and clarity." <laughs> and, well and that meant I could sell to Home Depot and Lowe's at the same time. And 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 I and I and yeah, I think that. And I think sometimes we, I think sometimes rights holders cave on exclusivity. They, they give that up too fast, um, and NIL is going to kind of prevent that. So I feel like there's some certain people in the ecosystem that fear that. Like, well, moment I bought the exclusive rights to that. Well, you did for the marks, but you didn't necessarily, and for the institution, but you didn't necessarily for all the student athletes. Um, no, that's right. And but I do think that they should be our first phone call because they have an investment with the university and. Uh, now that uh, we are onboarding thousands of athletes, they should be our first call because they should be the one who wants to engage with student athletes and have them help them sell their message to alumni and fans of that university. And so uh, that that is you know what we're attempting to do. And um, you know, and it's been some mixed messaging out in the marketplace, but I think over time uh, the clutter will clear and. Um, you know, and, and, you know, it's funny, um, so much of the university ecosystem, um, you know, find this so complex, but really, again, we have to look at the professional models and we have to see, well, how has this worked in the NFL and how has this worked in the NBA? And they've been doing this for 30 and 35 years and, uh, they have stepped in every pothole. And so it's kind of neat to, um, you know, to, to be able to point to that and say, yeah, that's why we have this plan in place. And that's why we have these rules in place. And, and so I think we can get everyone uh, comfortable in this messy world uh, that we're not reinventing the wheel. We are making it work for college and it's going to be different than what happens in the NFL and the NBA, Major League Baseball. And it has to be because they're not employees and it's not a union and, and all of those things. And we can make this work. Um, and, and so I think that they just like having an adult voice in the room. Well, I do believe that, um, there is that, you know, tendency in America to look for the loser at the table. And, you know, in this case, there's not a loser at the table. Everybody can win here with the appropriate, you know, processes and systems and learnings and all that. And I, and clearly y'all are adding schools every day and, 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 you know, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, it, it's obviously working. You're, you're convincing more and more schools, let us help you navigate a lot of complexity. Um, yep. and, and let us be someone that can help you do that in a way that 
I think is meaningful. I, yeah, I think it would be totally foolish to, to say, oh, the NFL Players Association system is wrong. <laughs> the NBA system is wrong. Uh, that's a little naive. Um, yeah. You know, you've got to do things a little bit differently, like, like you said, because they're not – there's certain, you know – bargaining rights or collective rights that they, they legally don't have. They're not a union. They're not going to be, you know, doing those kind of things. But the processes remain, I think, a lot of the same. What are you most excited about um, in NIL? What 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 do you think, um, you know, what, 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 what kind of gets you going in the morning? You know, it's really just kind of proving to the naysayers that it can't happen and – and it's actually developing these opportunities for student athletes. And I know it sounds, you know, trivial, but, you know, just issuing student athletes checks. Uh, that gets me going in the day, frankly. And, you know, we've been talking about this, um, It's you know, for 10 years. This has been uh, the lead business story in sports for, for 10 years. And so it's just going uh, every single day and talking to a new school or a new group of student athletes or a new licensee and and opening the door for how this can work. And and so it, I know it sounds cliche ish, but it's it's really exciting and it's an exciting time to be involved in college sports. And it's exciting time uh, to, you know, to be doing the things that we're doing, because um, every day we're kind of building the plane as we're flying it. And it's really cool. No, well, y'all, y'all are doing a great job. I think it's a good place to leave today. All I know is this: we, we haven't seen the last chapter written. I think there's some things that need to be done. I'm really watching the federal government. I mean, we cannot have, you know, 50 states have 50 different laws. I mean, we 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 just simply can't have that. And we need an overriding uh, legislation that uh, you know allows. And in my opinion, it needs to allow the student athlete to use the institution mark and for them to be able to collectively do stuff um, because that's just common sense. <laughs> and, I know. I know. And, and anytime we try to legislate against common sense, it has bad consequences. Um, in fact, it, it always does. And, uh, and in this case, I think y'all are bringing a lot of common sense to the ecosystem. Uh you know, we've been friends for a long time. I'm really proud of what you've done. I think y'all are a beacon for institutions right now and for their student athletes, and y'all are going to help them maximize the opportunities for them. And last time I checked, that's called the American dream. Um, <laughs> that's what we have done. Capitalism is the greatest liberator of any form of economic uh, system. Um, and anytime you try to restrict people, uh, it has bad consequences. And we've done that for decades, and now we've finally realized we've been wrong. And and I think it's a great time for, for a young person. Uh, I, I also think most people don't know how hard student-athletes have to work. Oh, yeah. I mean, they just don't if – you, if you followed them around, you would go – when do they have free time? I know. And the answer is they to don't. be a student athlete and to be a kid, it is, I agree with Right. You. And so, you know, the ability now to generate some dollars and, 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 and take advantage of, uh, of their name, image, and likeness, I think is a big deal. And, and y'all are doing a great job with that. And, Wesley, I can't thank you enough for kind of coming on with us today and helping educate everybody. And I appreciate you being with us today from the bridge. Well, it's my pleasure, and thank you for the kind words. And uh, it was great catching up with you, Rick. And we have been friends. I, I look at that picture from uh, staying at Bill Battle's place with, with the bear. bear. With uh, the bear. Yeah. <laughs> you, me, and Pat and I chuckle about it all the time uh, about how wrong and, in some ways, how right they were and some of the things we talked about that weekend. And so, anyway, Rick, it's good to be with you, and thank you for the invite. That'd be great. Talk to you soon, Wesley. See you, buddy. Bye bye. Okay. Here's a personal request from the old soapbox. I travel a lot for both business and for fun, and I fly a lot, like a whole lot, like almost 4 million miles on Delta Airlines alone a lot. 
And the truth is, I'm not that fond of flying because I really hate turbulence. But what I really hate more is turbulence without a word from the pilot. I like pilots who talk to me and the other passengers. Just tell me the truth. Tell me we're going to have a rough air for so many minutes. Tell me how long it is going to last. Tell me you're looking for smoother air or there's no smoother air. But tell me something. I cannot stand a bumpy flight with silence from the cockpit. Mostly if you talk to me, then I'll know you're paying attention. And that's my view from the soapbox and from up in the air. Todd Blackledge is one of my favorite college football commentators, and I'm glad he's brought back his Taste of the Town feature, where he goes to a great local restaurant in the town where he's covering a game. Several years ago, he wrote a book also called Taste of the Town, and of course, I have a copy of it. In honor of Todd and the return of Taste of the Town, here's one of his and my favorite places in Knoxville, Tennessee. In Knoxville, there's this terrific burger joint called Litton's Market Restaurant and Bakery. Started out in the 80s as a meat market. They've got freshly ground beef with grilled onions, and they bake their buns daily on site. They also make terrific hand-cut fries and hand-battered onion rings. You wash it all down with wonderful sweet tea, and then you finish it all up with a slice of red velvet cake and a cup of coffee. It's great eating for Todd's Taste of the Town and for you and me. On the Road with Rick, Litton's Great Burgers, Knoxville, Tennessee. That's our show for today. I hope it made you think differently about NIL and what's ahead for college sports. Thanks to my friend Wesley Haynes for his insights and to you for listening in. We hope to see you back here next week from the bridge. <laughs>